Hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me for another episode of Get Out of Rap. Today, I'm very lucky to be joined by Jonathan Gale, the CEO of Sabio. Jonathan, thanks very much for joining me today. Thanks, Martin. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here, generally. Well, in a, I'm actually in the office. One of two people in an office seats about 200. So, I'm, uh, I'm, But from my point of view, it's a more COVID-secure environment than my house. <laughs> so got a lot more people coming and going so uh, I can yeah. absolutely relate to that um, I'm really looking forward to finding out more about you and um, you know Sabio is such a well-known um, company and brand in our industry but really kind of going in and having a look at what makes you guys different what your views are I'm really looking forward to it so right. thanks very much I think right. everyone is always very interested um to start with, how how have you got here uh, today? Where you know what's been your kind of career path? Sure. Um, so it, I mean, it's a funny one. It's a small world. I mean, I think you you know from this industry, it's it's a, it's a pretty small kind of industry. I'm talking specifically contact center. You know, CRM. That's another thing. Customer experience, digital transformation, AI, etc. That's another thing. But I think. Obviously, at the core of what Sabio do is 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 expertise around contact centers and 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 customers that have got you know a big contact center as part of their um, kind of service delivery mix and their service delivery model. And um, you know, Sabio's guessing about a twenty year old um, company now. And bizarrely, I was actually I was in the room when the company was named. Really. Yes, because um, one of the founders was 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 um, somebody that I went to um, to uh, to college with and uh, did a degree with, and I actually worked with him at a company called Touchbase before, um, which uh, latterly became another um, uh, company in our space called uh, it was called Natilic now, but and um, well, it's evolved into Natilic, I should say, in case I offend anyone at Natilic, <laughs> need to do that. Um, and uh, yeah, for one reason or another, I didn't. So, I mean, that kind of segues into explaining my kind of career. So we, me and this, this chap, Ken Hitchin, and another chap, a um, friend of mine called Tim Fenn, who's at Pega now, we all started this job at Mercury. And then from there, via the odd little kind of detour, we ended up at this company called Touchbase and then decided that we felt that there was this real opportunity around um, contact center and around some of the emerging technology, like leading technology vendors, um, like Lucent, which became Avaya and Verint, and, and a real requirement for kind of mid-sized companies um, who wanted to understand all of uh, the art of the possible across contact center, across customer experience, across kind of insight and analytics, and, and they weren't necessarily going to get that um, support or that um, breadth of capability from going direct to um, a vendor and and that was um, you know so that idea of knowledge and expertise and almost knowing more about the, the customer's problems and knowing more about the actual systems and solutions than the vendors um, was kind of at the, at the uh, if you excuse the pun it's not deliberate but was kind of at the genesis of um, uh, of Sabio and Sabio, as I found out um, that that morning um, when it was on the list of suggested names for the company, um, is I don't know if you do you, are you familiar with what it means or where it comes from. No, I'm not. 
So it is actually a Portuguese saint, but in, in Portuguese, it's equivalent of saying sage or wise. It's a word that's... I love that. Um, and it's a great, it's a great name. And, um, uh, but I didn't end up being part of that founding group for reasons I won't bore you with. Some, um, uh, some my decision, some not my decision. And, and I actually went in a different direction. I went off to work for BT for their consulting arm in Syncordia, which is focused on big contact centers. I've basically been in contact center, CRM, CX, my whole career, except for a, a kind of eight year stint in, in SaaS security with a company called Message Labs, which one or two of your um, viewers may have heard of, which was a UK based company that became a global security email scanning company that sold to Symantec in about 2008 now. So between 2000 and 2008, I was there, but everything else from kind of um, far earlier than I want to admit <laughs> uh, through to now has been in kind of contact center, um, customer experience, a digital transformation, the CRM. Um, so yeah, and I've kind of flitted around between management roles and, you know, uh, running product, um, uh, running product teams. And then the last two jobs have been um, uh, running a company called New Voice Media, which is a cloud contact yeah. center as a service thing that was, I think it's about 25 people when I joined and we, we grew that. We focused on a relationship with Salesforce, which was this startup that no one had heard of, had about 100 <laughs> employees in the UK when we started working with them. There's a theme um, developing here. Yeah, and, um, and we grew that and that sold to a company called Vonage, um, US company, and um, in uh, about 2018, 2019. And um, actually, Vonage, if you saw, they got acquired by Ericsson, um, a week ago, two weeks ago. Uh, and then I took a you know, year and a half off, as, as you do, not really a kind of midlife crisis, more a kind of um, bucket li list testing, uh, bucket list ticking exercise. Oh, um, great. Yeah, it was great. And one of the things I did was actually cycle around Europe with some friends. Oh, really? Um, about, I, I know you wouldn't believe it to look at me, but we went about 4,000 uh, kilometers from all the way from France through Spain to Portugal and kind of wow. around. And while I was on that trip, I got a call from somebody and they said, oh, there's this company. And anyway, like you do, you know, you get calls about stuff. And they described the company. I said, oh, that's Sabio, isn't it? And, and they said, how do you know that? And I was like, I just, you know, I, it's a guess, but I know this industry and yeah. describing and the brand proposition around expertise and knowledge that's my guess is it's, it's Sabio, and then there you go. And that was summer 19 or, or autumn 19, and then I started um, here um, in December 19, so just a couple of years ago, just, just over, and then obviously, you know, we all know what's happened in the last, uh, you know, two years. So it's been just a weird, weird time to take on a, take on a new job, but I, I can imagine. I mean, just and it literally, that was kind of just at the start, wasn't it? Because it was um, yeah. March. I, think, I think the first lockdown was kind of March 2020, but the you know the storm clouds were brewing. Um, I was away with the family, with with our friends in the Feb half term, and uh, one of our the, the family friends is is a doctor, um, uh, you know, an intensive care specialist. He was like, this isn't going to be good. So, yeah. And we kind of came back, came back from, from France and, and then, yeah. And then that's just 
well and i thought i hoped i believed that we were maybe like everybody i guess on the other side of it and uh yeah looks like we're not quite yet and it's just been unimaginable really like if you wound the clock back sorry i know we're not really talking about no i about. carry on i'm i'm um, there's so many different things we could we could go from from what you said but i'm i'm like you the other day um it's it's just kind of strange it's strangely affected time hasn't it your concept yeah, it's, of it's, of time no it's like time stood still i mean i can I don't know about you but you know my on my phone on my smartphone I don't have a camera anymore, I just see what I do, but I never get it out of the cupboard. You know, I use my smartphone. Mm. So I tend to think of things and I, I, so I'm flicking through my photos trying to find things. And I used to be able to remember like months and years even. And now I just, I, I thought, when was that? I can't remember. Was that 12 months ago? Was it six months ago? Was it? Yeah. So if that's what you mean, like I really. Yeah, com no, completely. Someone was talking to me the other day. I actually met my, my wife just at the same time, December. Uh, 19 someone was talking about that and i i've missed out a whole year <laughs> yeah. of our time of our time together that's not a good start <laughs> no <laughs> no um I wouldn't, yeah i'd fix that problem quickly um, I, I will <laughs> but i do think it's interesting in terms of what what we do and particularly if you think about contact centers I, obviously you know overnight um things changed and you know whereas uh, just con you know, people's contact centers sudden. I mean, they're important anyway. Yeah. But overnight, they became the only way that a lot of brands had of communicating with with their customer base because they couldn't um, uh, they couldn't see them in a um, uh, they couldn't go to a store anymore. They couldn't go find them in a, in a couldn't have a you know couldn't go to John Lewis and meet somebody from John yeah. Lewis. Get that um, brand experience that they worked so hard on. You know. Um, so it, it was all, or suddenly it was all about the contact center. Everything was going through the contact center. If you wanted to speak to a human from one of these companies, you, you were phoning them up, sending an email or doing a live chat session or whatever. So, I mean, obviously we had customers in, in verticals that would, would, you know, like travel that would kind of, that was a different problem because they were mothballing everything and it was what you do and loads of, um, uh, difficulty there and then we we had you know we saw other we we managed a number of big retail brands in the uk and and um you know across retail including on on kind of the grocery side and and that their volumes just overnight leapt to kind of um you know one and a half times peak volume they'd ever seen before and then they just stayed there so they you know they were like there and they just went bang um, like calls, emails, everything. And then they just didn't drop off. They just stayed there. So we were working with loads of different customers who were just trying to, trying to cope with that. And also that puts huge amount of stress on, on the, on the representatives, on the, on the, on agents, on, on people basically as well. So it's been a, um, bizarre time. And then also things, I mean, obviously I know your, your, your background includes, um, you know, long stints with big uh, financial services players and and those operations those contact centers which have typically been in offices and and you know got a very tight security model in terms of the the data that you know having to help those companies figure out how they can move that into a home working model almost overnight um yeah 
it's, um, it's, it's been, been a strange. bizarre, bizarre period. And, and, and again, it's just also accelerated a load of trends that we, you know, we've seen adoption of public cloud technology, stuff like that, adoption of AI and automation. I think all of those things have probably moved 10 years in two years because of the, um, the kind of, you know, the pandemic and the external environment. When you think about you guys and especially kind of your stewardship, right? So you, you take over and then this hits and it's, you're there supporting your customers in unprecedented times, doing unprecedented things with their volumes and your ability to kind of meet them and service them. How, when you think about where Sabio's come from and where you're heading towards, did it, has it also accelerated that as well? Or has it influenced your kind of, where do you want, where do you want Sabio to be? What does it mean in the future? It's a really good question. I, mean, I think it has helped some aspects of what we've done and it's hindered others, I would say. Um, I, mean, I don't know how much you know about the recent history of the company, but, but obviously we, um, uh, what we wanted to do was to um, uh, diversify our offering because we, you know, we already were working with, with some market leading capabilities, but I mean, fundamentally we're, you know, we're focused on a very specific profile of customer and that's probably, you know, it's likely to be a customer, a client of ours, who's got a lot of consumers, a lot of customers that they're managing either directly or via some sort of distribution channel or something. So it's generally not always like we have companies that don't fit this mold and that we have great relationships with. Sorry, I've got to turn off my email. Uh, which is um, bonging every two seconds. Oh, dangers of podcasts. Right. That's that. <laughs> it's fine. Oh. <laughs> um, and uh, can you hear the bonging? Yes, but it's a it's a common backdrop to the um, yeah, to the podcast. So don't worry. <laughs> it's, 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 I assume we'll take this bit out, but it's driving me absolutely insane. <laughs> quit Outlook. The application that doesn't want to switch off. Yeah, that one doesn't. That that cannot be turned off. Well, let's see. If that <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah. So we got this, you know, particular kind of profile of customer where where I think there's there's almost the best fit, and there's a complexity. Usually, there's uh, you know where we where we really like to operate is where the the where the solution like find creating a simple solution that's a good experience for all the stakeholders for the customer for our client the people that work for our client in their contact centers is a, is a nice simple joined up solution but we're actually delivering that is 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 really hard so we kind of we focus on expertise in a, in a broad range of areas both in terms of issues and processes around um you know contact center customer experience CRM, digital transformation, etc. You know, AI is obviously a big part of that now, and um, and expertise on the solution side around what we consider to be kind of the best possible range of vendors that you can work with across those spaces. And then we have a quite a lot of our own intellectual property, our own products, and but they are generally about rapid deployment, about simple um, monitoring and management of you know quite complicated integrated solutions and they're about driving insight primarily they're about driving insight whether that's interaction and analytics whatever but but things that we can then use to work with customers to 
improve the customer service that they deliver and the customer experience that they're, you know, customer journey that their customers go on. So, um, yeah, if I think about the effect of the, the pandemic and all of that, so we, we got, you know, fairly early on in my tenure, we kind of figured out, okay, what we really, we really need to add some more capability in these, in a number of these emerging areas, including AI and automation, including some newer kind of CPAT, CCAS and CPAS vendors, um, including um, CRM, because, you know, typically you don't tend to find many technology partners who, who operate with credibility in the CRM space, but also operate with credibility in the CC space. And as those two markets, something we'll probably talk about later, but as those two markets converge, offering often what looked like on the face of it, totally uh, like, um, substitutional rather than complementary solutions that you know that you can you can do it through your CRM or you can do it through your contacts and like well how do you want to do this and for for the profile of customer that we want to work with we want to help them try and solve that problem because there there isn't usually isn't a single right a single right answer it depends on you know what the requirements are so I think the thing about the pandemic for us was it you know some people chose to to kind of um completely understandably but to if you like be be um cautious in terms of right we'll batten down the hatches yeah um we'll get through and then um and then hopefully when we get the other side of this we'll you know we'll go back to normal and um so i think we made the conscious decision that we were going to um look to um be quite um aggressive in terms of growth both organically and um inorganically in terms of acquisition targets for us so that when we hopefully came out of the other side of it in a year or two's time, we'd um, built quite an impressive array of capabilities and expertise across a broad set of um, technologies and a broad set of areas and processes and areas of specialization within the uh, CX landscape. You know? And so, you know, we did, we, you know, we nearly doubled in size in terms of our headcount, um, uh, customer base, and we brought together some amazing capabilities and amazing skills and amazing people. So that's all good. And we could definitely do more of that because one of the things that you could do realistically was you could be acquisitional in, in lockdown because the market was actually, it was there, but there were quite a few people were out of it because they were sitting still. So it was quite a good time to, if you were clear about your strategy and knew what you wanted to do. The problem though is the people side of it. So getting, you know, acquiring companies is one thing. Um, uh, at the same time, you know, we hired organically two mm -hmm. or 300 people, you know, in that period. Wow. Um, and, but then bringing everybody together um, and making that, you know, knitting that together into one integrated, harmonious, um, you know, company proposition set of processes, that, that's the thing that in lockdown and remotely is, is a lot harder to do. It's not impossible. Use of technologies, collaborative technologies like this. You know, we're having to learn to to, to do it. But I, I, that's I would say the positive was we could execute our strategy quickly, um, and it was the market has been accelerating, or the the, the pandemic has been a catalyst for certain um, overall shifts, the changing role of agents, the role of AI and automation. The need for customers to our customers being 
incredibly smart at how they segment their customer data. Um, the role of AI and automation in that, just the general shift to the cloud, like those things which we try to differentiate and build value propositions around and be better at helping our customers around than, than our competition. Those things have all accelerated, which is great. Um, but the pulling everything together, getting, you know, becoming one cohesive team and the work social side of it. I mean, we, you know, I think it's not until you take that away that you realize how important that is as part of building culture and building understanding between teams, between people, um, you know, teams that are often geographically dispersed as well. So, you know, th those get togethers, those annual kickoffs, those quarterly meetings, when you can't do those physically, um, it's, it's, it's difficult. So I'd say it's been very much a, um, a mixed bag um, for us. Um, you know, I think we've, we've stuck to our plan and we've, you know, pursued our strategy and been to a certain extent opportunistic. But um, it's difficult. I find that it's difficult. And I, I, you know, I think sitting in this office here in, in London and I don't know what the office holds, probably 120 people or something. And three weeks ago, it was 80, 90 people. Like it was nearly back to normal. Yeah. And today there's me and one other person in it. And that, you know, that I get that. That's the government advice. I've, I've come in because I had to come in to meet clients earlier in the day who wanted to meet in the office, same as my colleague, but everybody else is home. That's the advice. It's obviously the sensible thing to do. Um, but it's just a shame. Like I was really, really enjoying. Um, and that, I mean, these are all, let's be clear, um, unbelievably first world problems we're talking about because this is obviously killed. Oh, I think it's very, it's or, very, or, very or relatable. Permanently affected the physical and mental health of, of, of literally millions of people. So, I mean, that's, I think that's well, it's a good thing to always kind of check yourself on is to go, yeah, okay, we're complaining that we can't integrate and we can't do that. But, you know, this is a, it's a global pandemic and it's killing people and devastating, I think, yeah. devastating families. Anyway, I always feel better about no. it. I always not feel better. I feel um, it's like a good slap around the face to like stop moaning about not being able to get together. Uh, I, st that, I still think you can not moan. Most, not as far and away, not the most <laughs> important thing that the world is dealing with at the moment. I still think you can moan, um, much like you mentioned your friend's a doctor. My sister's a paramedic and has been right on the front lines of this. Oh, and God. I have to stop my, if, when we're together and I'm kind of moaning about something similar, I can just see a side eye in me. So, you know, it's... Um, yeah. I, I, would, I would say, though, if I was, um, if I was in Sabio... I would be reassured to hear the CEO talk about wanting to make, you know, just you being conscious of the fact that you've, there's a, there's a lot of the strategy that's being realized and there's a lot of great things happening, but you're really conscious of not wanting to, to make sure that the, the essence of what your company is, that the new hires and the people who have only had some kind of remote experience, virtual experience, that you're consider you're considering them, and it's kind of like right. Let's let's think about that. This group of people, how do we ensure that they really understand who we are as a as a community and as a company? I I would be reassured by that. Well, that's good to hear. Um, I hope that's reflected. Sorry, we've got energy saving light sensors. <laughs> Get my. Uh... There we go. <laughs> there we go. Right, back on. 
Um, you mentioned you you mentioned um, something really interesting there as well about, uh, and I think it's kind of a, a view held in the market of where you where you guys sit, and that is really understanding that convergence that you mentioned of contact centres, CRM, AI. What what does that how, what does that look like um, for you? That landscape and and how is it evolving, and do you think it will evolve? Yeah, I mean, I think we, you know, we. Uh, I think there's multiple ways of of looking at or thinking about that convergence, but that that convergence is real because you know it's the it's the effect of market forces, it's the effect of competition. Um. um you know, th- th- there is a certain. I mean, if, if, well, there's a few things, right? Let me back up a second. I think one of the interesting things is this. Um, overall trend that we're seeing moving away from the contact center being seen as a cost center and it's a profit center and part of Mm. um, bringing customers in keeping customers keeping customers happy stopping them going off to you know taking their spend to another brand so there's definitely so my point about um you know I, i think if you look at the the brands who do the best job of that they're the ones in many cases who are masters of their own customer data better than others and you know that, that, and if you think about in the type of profile of business that we deal with, there's usually two parts of the business that are dealing with customers. There's, if you like, a customer service operation, and then there's marketing. And and both of those um, functions will have quite rich customer data, but for different purposes. So I think um, uh, I think what what we're seeing and what we're observing is um, the. Uh, the convergence isn't just between contact center and CRM and customer experience AI technologies. It's actually a, a, a functional convergence within the customers that we deal with, where all the departments that carry significant customer data are trying to figure out how they pull that, that pull, as in P-O-O-L, you know, push that data together um, so that they can start to join up the, the um join up the dots um, for their customers in terms of a joined up customer experience. So you don't feel that often very disjointed experience you get between the, the part of the business that sold you something and the part of the business that has to, you know, account manage your relationship with them, whether it's groceries, whether, you know, whatever it is, whether it's a mobile phone. So I think the, I think the markets are converging because the functions are converging. Um, in not everywhere, but in, in many places, um, we, we see that. And I think that the, the companies that are doing the best job of that are generally the companies that, that are winning because they're providing a more joined up, um, uh, a more joined up experience. I think the other, um, so there's that, there's that, there's a customer perspective on it. There's an industry perspective on it, which is these companies are actually in, investing in one another. I don't know if, if you saw the the news only a few days ago, I think, um, around Salesforce um, uh, leading a, a 500 million investment round in Genesis, which uh, uh, Salesforce partner of ours, Genesis partner of ours, it's interesting. Uh, and that was a Salesforce led round that was also um, uh, included ServiceNow. Obviously, ServiceNow, great ITSM offering, pushing into the kind of service cloud, service desky offering as well. Also, uh, somebody we work with, and again, we use all of these companies' products ourselves as well. Um, 
and uh, and Zoom. So you've got Salesforce plus ServiceNow plus Zoom. So CRM, obviously lots and yep. lots of different clouds and bits to the Salesforce offering now. Um, uh, ServiceNow, ITSM and, and Service Cloud. Um, uh, and um, Zoom, well, talking to you on Zoom, but yeah, obviously collaboration video, like investing in a, in a contact center company. You know, right. I mean, but it's, uh, you, you go back five years, you just would have thought that's, that's insanity. Is that no? Because it was, you know, it was chalk and cheese. You know, there were mm. these two kind of quite separate industries that occasionally crossed over in at the desktop in a contact center because the customer mm. records might be in the, in the, um, you know, so for 20 years, you know, the convergence of the market was, was screen popping in, in, in a desktop based on recognizing a phone number. Yeah. And, and we've been able to do that for 20 years and not many customers do it. And when you do it well, it's amazing. Like, you know, and I know, you know, we've got customers in the insurance side and the financial services side who use the I didn't realize you liked me that way deal because it's one thing to receive McDonald's but an entirely other thing to know that they woke up early to face the world and bring you McDonald's breakfast still hot in the bag appreciate you there's a deal for every morning now grab two loaded sausage burritos for only three bucks Prices and participation may vary. Single item at regular price. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal. Ba -da -ba -ba -ba. Just simple stuff like that to shorten the, the ID and V process. And, you know, just answer the phone and go, hi, Jonathan, how are you? I mean, I don't, I don't know about you, but... Yeah. So technology to do that has been around. Okay, it's a lot more Yeah, hard. exactly. It's been around yeah. for 20 years. But when I actually phone somebody and they do that, I'm blown away by it. Yeah. If they, if they then ask me... A, nice um simple kind of second like second factor of authentication question to really painlessly verify me to Happy meet days. the standard. yeah and i'm like oh great you know and um uh we uh one of our customers is um uh, lv insurance and i i don't know if you're a customer of theirs great products but they're they're um using a, a lot of driven by them, but using a lot of tech and ideas we put together, they do an amazing job of that. And um, actually I was a customer of them long before I knew about the Sabio, <laughs> Sabio job. <laughs> and when I was kind of evaluating the Sabio job versus some other options that I had, I, I, I rang them to renew my insurance and it was just, it was just amazing. I was like, oh, that's so good. And um, just randomly, and then I happened to be looking at some of the materials and I saw them as um, as as one of the Sabio customers. So um, you know, I kind of I spoke to before I joined. I spoke to them. I said, "Do we like do we do we really do the whole thing, or do we do like a little bit?" Or you know, often yeah, yeah. in customer lists, you find out that you you don't you know you do a bit of it, but you don't do all of it. But no, we do everything for them. And I'm not the only customer by any means who does it. But I think that. Um, the potential when you bring those elements together, when you bring the customer elements together in the CRM, when you think about automation intelligently as um, automating, um, you know, even if they're relatively complex, but interactions like booking a field service appointment, which is a lot more complex than say checking a balance, but, but the ability to automate those things really well, um, bring that customer data in, so use 
you know, if it's a text interaction, use persona-based bots because you know what age, um, uh, what um, gender a customer is, you know, you know where, you know, so you tailor that automation experience so that people are really comfortable using it. And then you, you, you keep your people back for the complex issues, the difficult issues, the urgent issues, the multidimensional issues. Uh, it's as the, those pieces of technology come together, you can deliver the most amazing um, uh, overall customer experience. So I think we're seeing, um, I think we're seeing companies internally, um, you're seeing that convergence. I think you're seeing the practical convergence of the vendors externally, but you still got quite a significant number of big brands who still deliver a relatively uninspiring um, customer experience. But I think like my hypothesis in all of this is over the next five to 10 years, that's just not going to be okay anymore. It's like, it's been okay for the last probably five, 10, 15, 20 years. You could kind of get away with it. You know, if you had a good, really good product and, but I, I just, I think that the way the market's converging, the, the demands of the customer, the fact that the customer is probably remote, they're not going to, you know, and, and intolerance, switching speeds, you know, low barriers to switch um, companies that you procure stuff from, whether it's your groceries, whether it's uh, whatever it is, whether it's insurance, you know, the switching hurdles are coming down all the time. Um, the ability to exert your normal kind of market influence as a big brand, that's dropping. So, you know, you can get digital natives just come out of nowhere and eat your market. So I think the battleground is customer experience and, 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 and those that do a better job of that will win. And, um, you know, there's been quite a lot of research recently um, that shows um, and, and uh, various different um, specific papers on it that, that were an actual kind of numerical analysis of the different financial performance of companies that invest in, uh, in customer experience and, and those that don't. I'm trying to remember, um, I was looking at this the other day. Uh, I'm uh, right, behind, I'm right what, behind you on that as well, by the way. Just, consulting it was. They did this um, uh, study on it. Um, basically, the brands who invest in it are winning. So the brands who see it as a profit center invest in it heavily, focus on it, think about what it's like for their customers to deal with them. They are they are winning, and 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 you see the returns. You know these are publicly quoted companies, and um, you see companies who try and do it on the cheap, and and they are losing market share. I think as well when you when you talked about your experience and and I a hundred percent I'm with you on CX is now is going to be the differentiator for success and where you choose to do everything the way you talked about it then is actually really reassuring that if you if you focus on customer but this contact center and empowering people and getting everything right to be able to deliver that that full picture that seamless experience so that the really helpful data about customers isn't separate to the people that need it on the front lines it's readily there for them. It's, it's just exactly the way it should be. Now, in terms of that kind of 
convergence um where's where's sabio where where's your sweet spot in terms of what that what that looks like well we, we kind of think about that as a venn diagram basically with um you know and it's it's I mean, it's a debate about where you put different vendors and, and, and certain vendors would, would like to say, well, actually, I'm a contact center vendor as well, because, you know, a CRM vendor may say, well, I'm a contact center vendor. But the way we think about it is kind of, is, is actually more about where, where have these companies come from or where have these capabilities come from? So like, where, what do they start with? You know, okay, they might, it might be a, um, a service desk or ticketing solution now that had that's added a CPaaS capability like Twilio or something, so that they've now got voice plugged into their their service desk capability. So they can say, you know, um, like a Zendesk voice, which is based on Twilio. So they can say, well, we're a contact center, but and you can use it as a contact. Like it's a great product, but it's not. That isn't where they came from. That's like, like the core. It's not the DNA. So I think you've got to look at the DNA. The way we think about it is we create these kind of three circles, the partners that we work with, the issues that we're dealing with, the departments that we're working with in, in our customers. And we kind of group the issues and the, and the partners and the solutions into these three pots based on where they came from, not necessarily where they want to go, because they all want to go into that place in the middle where these, when you bring these three circles together, where they interconnect. So we, we think about like, what, what's your, your real strength? Like if you strip it away at the core, are you an AI company? Are you a CRM? Yeah service desk company or a contact center company with who came out of voice and then went into multi-channel so um because they can all do 90 percent of what customers want to, de to deliver that differentiate the thing is it will just it will feel like a different thing to live with and it will particularly not just for the customers it will particularly feel like a different thing to live with for for the, the people who work in the contact centers like those choices which are kind of made um, you know, back to your point about getting that information together, you know, that old classic about, oh, sorry, my systems are running slow today. They're not running slow, right? They're, it's yeah. the time it takes me to alt tab between like five different green screen um, yeah. to find the data that I need to scribble it on a post-it to be able to give you the answer that you want, you know. Yeah. Those decisions, they're not arbitrary and obviously there's serious people making those decisions, but like those decisions kind of affect the, you know, literally the mental health of the people that work in those contact centers because 100 percent. because if you if you get that wrong and it's and it's you know and people get sucked into whatever the, the you know the, the idea of working with a particular vendor or working with a, you know you've got to rethink about what it's like because that those the people that work in those contact centers they are now the brand ambassadors for those for those companies so the way we think about it martin if you put those things in those Pots. we think about the issues we work with the customers to try and understand what their goals are in terms of customer experience we use the tools that we've got to actually try and shine some insight on um, quickly very quickly on whether or not the experience that the customers are getting is the one that the customers our customers think they're projecting or they want to project and sometimes there's a massive gap between what the impression that the, the client thinks they're giving and, and the experience that the customer's getting. And sometimes actually it's quite a small gap, but, and it, it can vary from one channel to another or from one kind of function or one process to another. But so we try and close that gap between perception and reality. Um, and then 
um, we just try and understand the direction that, that the customer wants to go in, in the, in the long term, where they want to be, like what's the end point, and then just, just work back. But be, just be really clear about it. For that, that kind of profile of customer that I'm talking about, um, with a lot of customers to manage, uh, whether that's a startup that started three years ago, has raised a ton of money, has suddenly got half a million customers, is going to be two million in three years' time, or whether that's a company that's been around for 30 years, which is the name or the brand in that market. We're in, you know, predominantly in Europe, we operate globally, but we're focused primarily in Europe. We want everybody just to know that we've got the best people, we've got the best ideas. And um, actually, you know, as a specialist, we're the best partner in that space, right? Not obviously we're not the biggest services company in the world. Like you can go to an Accenture, you can go to an IBM, or you can go to a CAP, but they won't specialize like we will in that space. Yes, of course, they'll have big functions. And equally, there'll be other smaller specialist players in our space who are really good in a particular niche. But I think uh, our focus, our differentiation is at scale, being able to bring those um, kind of three worlds together and to help our customers unpick what their choices are and make conscious decisions because there is no perfect choice, right? Whatever route you go down, um, uh, technology-wise to underpin the, the, the business strategy and the customer service strategy that you've got, that those choices that you make now are going to impact on the customer service that you, you deliver over the next two, three, five, ten years. And it, for us, it's just about helping our customers understand the different, because they've got so much choice, um, understand the different choices that are out there. And then once they've selected that path, you know, delivering it for them and making it successful quickly. And I think that's one of the other things that we're really obsessed about is really, really kind of quick returns. You know, that's why we don't, yeah, we don't really like generally to get, if we can, I mean, we have to, but we, we'd much rather do a proof of concept quickly and get engaged in a kind of a two-year sales process and for that, a massive tender. We'd rather just come in and say, right, okay, we can have this thing. As an example, we can have it up and running in a week or two and show you practically what we mean. And if you don't like it, great. You know, we're not great, but, yep. not ideal, but, but at least you know, rather than, you know, these great big waterfall projects that you know you, you sign a three-year contract and you're two years into it and you haven't even gone live i mean that's yeah well, that well i was gonna make, say make any sense surely that suits the market i mean we're from you know my background like operations where we want to do things quick we want to we want to get kind of the solution we want to put out the fire and, and be better yeah. it seems to me that's the definitely the right um the right approach do you find you mentioned something there about this kind of just like dizzying amount of choice that um, people have. And it is it, do you help customers kind of stay on track in terms of what's important? Because people could be charging at a thousand different windmills um, through, oh, let's, let's get this bit of technology, let's get that. Because a lot of the things that people have in house are organically grown, like a patchwork yeah. quilt of, of stuff. Do you help kind of clarify that in terms of, right, you know, you, I, I love the way you talk about the three kind of Venn diagrams. That must be quite um, reassuring for your customers, for your customers of your customers. Yeah, I mean, I think, it, I think that, that the, the, the three circles in the Venn diagram, I think that's a way, it's just a simple visual tool for help customers kind of understand 
you know, when they're getting pitched directly by vendors and they're all saying they do the same thing, but they come from different, um, if, if, originate in different markets, it's to help them kind of pick, pick that apart. But actually, I think to arrive at that decision and, and what the right trade-off is, uh, there's a, a couple of things that we, we really, really, and I'm not, I'm not just saying this, we genuinely try and do, and it's kind of part of our strategy, it's part of our, it's part of our values, it's part of our, our internal vision for the company that we want to be. And we you know we want to advocate on behalf of our clients' customers, on behalf of them as a stakeholder group, and advocate on behalf of their contact center, uh, the people that work in their contact centers. Um, uh, and we want to bring the requirements of those two groups, so our clients, um, uh, well, anyone that works across, you know, delivering customer experience for the clients, but particularly where that, that, that intense environment of the contact center and their customers and bring their needs to the, the heart of the, the, the decision-making process between the different things that are on the table. So don't just think about, you know, the, the typical things that you might think about. Think about what's this actually going to, what's it going to feel like? Like go work in one of your contact centers for a day and and understand what it feels like to use the current set of systems and then think you know what it's going to be like to deliver good customer a good customer experience think about the choices you're making in terms of what that means for that person think about what it means for the um for the supervisor um you know trying to manage resources i mean uh, you know with the omicron outbreak from a you know scheduling perspective supervisor yeah. must be a nightmare at the moment you know and okay it may be easier because a lot of people are remote but i'm sure i know that some customers have gone back to their contact centers and they haven't gone back remote but even if they're remote there's going to be a lot of people um hopefully obviously not seriously or but there's going to be a lot of people at least off work who can't work so you know that that's a think about things like that think about these kind of existential um, pressures and challenges and which you can never have predicted the the solution that when you're choosing between the solutions think about the impact on those key stakeholders and think about the impact on the customer and then and then the other thing which i'm really i'm genuinely kind of um excited about is that we're thinking hard about is also trying to lay out the different um and you might laugh at me about this but the different um carbon footprint of the different solutions Oh, um, definitely not laugh. One of the um, uh, one of the things that's often not really considered is 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 what is you know, and we're really genuinely obsessed about that. It's kind of part of our strategy. We really want to try and um, just do the right thing and, and just be conscious of it and try, and try and do a better job. And that's reflected sometimes in some of the conversations we've had as we've unlocked this year. It's like, can we talk about how we? How we physically meet like we do need to physically meet with our customers but rather than having last minute random meetings with people missing let's build a schedule for the year um uh so that we can be uh, effective and we can kind of minimize the, the minute sorry minimize minimize the carbon footprint of some of these meetings you know if you've got a customer we've got international customers offices in apac offices in europe offices in the states and you're trying to get everyone together globally you know there's you have to fly right there's just no practical solution yeah. so let's try and be smart about how we do that and let's think about and it's i think the same thing applies for the technology solutions right they do definitely you know on-premise private cloud public cloud a hybrid of those three they have different 
implications in terms of engineers driving around the country to have implications in terms of right? and public cloud doesn't always mean good as we know from things like bitcoin and you know kind of processing power i think it's just kind of raising that perspective up as well um is, is another thing just to kind of probably a slightly alternative um just things to consider they may not ultimately drive the solution um, that somebody would select, but they're things that we try and bring into the mix to help people find their way through. And, and I find increasingly when we deal with, you know, with, with our largest customers, a lot of whom are public, um, the execs in those companies have all got um, ESG components to how they're measured, you know, um, whether that's sustainability targets, whether that's actually um, uh, diverse, um, diversity, inclusion, equality targets to to what they do, and so I think we, you know, we try and bring those factors in, or, or try and illuminate those factors to help our customers make the decision, an informed decision about what the right route is for them. But there is no every customer is different. Every customer's got a different spin on it, and we're not the reason we we work with a broad range of 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 partners of technology partners is because we want to be able to customize solutions to be exactly what is the best fit for our customers. I absolutely kind of virtual high five you for, um, I, again, if I was an employee, I would. You have to do the reaction, don't you? Yeah. Is there, no, there's a thumb. Oh, there, there is, is. yeah. No, that's um, a great time. It's a different thing, isn't there it? There we go. That's like um, talk. <laughs> yes, Jonathan. Um, I, you know, yeah, virtual high five, because I think, again, if I was an employee, just to hear that that is now a factor in um, your the solutions that you deploy, so consideration um, would make a big difference because, you know, people people are deciding to join companies based, and, and these are kind of decision-making factors around what's the company view on the climate, what's the company view on diversity and inclusion, where do you stand? What is it? Is it important to you? And I think if what you just said there evidence is it absolutely is, then I think that's brilliant. Because I I'd never even considered before distance engineers travel. What does it mean? You know those kind of things. I think it's great. I want to be completely clear. I would say only about ten percent of the proposals we produce currently have that in. But I'm completely committed to that being a hundred percent. You know, you know, within a, within a year or two. And, and right. that's, about, that's about baking it into the systems. It's about baking it into the configuration tools that you use internally. But it's but that hasn't stopped us from already talking to customers about have you thought about that aspect? Like when you're making this decision, have you have you thought about you know that's another perspective along with the stakeholder, their customers, the the people that that work and run their contact centres. If you think about it from multiple different perspectives in order and to make your choice. And do you think, um, you mentioned around kind of agents of the future, that's been something that's kind of been talked about for a while around agents will deal with more complex um, queries from customers to deliver true kind of CX and those kind of wow moments. Does does the kind of technology that you guys and, and some of the people you have there um, make that more likely to be a reality in the next few years because it is something that's been mentioned for a long time agents of the future and yeah i mean no 100 
absolutely and i think i mean there's multiple com components to that and multiple kind of definitions of that agents of the future right the way through to people saying well it's a bot and it's personalized which i don't i mean we we are automating some as i said some really quite complex voice interactions like booking a field service appointment you know really successfully in some of our own uh our own ip for customers and 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 actually getting really good feedback from um our clients customers we're getting um and actually getting really good feedback also from uh the, the people the their customer um, contact center reps because they didn't like doing those things anyway they were kind of a, like one of the more irritating repetitive parts of their job so they're quite happy to, to yeah, remove. <laughs> and but to your point we're not seeing we're not seeing agent numbers go down we're seeing them go up mm. and what we're what we're doing what we are seeing is we're seeing minutes you know talked minutes or chatted minutes hold or go up but the number of individual calls is coming down so people are um, busier, but on longer, more complex calls. So, I mean, the way we think about that and, and what, what's happening there in terms of that, the, as you know, we describe it, that, you know, the, uh, the, the changing role of humans in all of this. Yeah. Um, uh, is, uh, it isn't just about the technology, right? First of all, there's, there is a, uh, which is why we've also been building out, um, Kind of consulting side of our business that looks at the processes um, that underpin uh, the interactions in the contact center and and i'm sure you're familiar with the term baggage handling are you familiar with that I'm sure you would be so i think first of all you have to work with a client who is um comfortable to break down those functional silos and and allow um the, the people that work in their contact centers to handle if it's a billing problem or it's a product problem or you know a returns problem it doesn't matter like you don't you don't not having to say well i need to transfer you off to this other department so i think that's step one and and to really deliver um um really good outcomes for customers i think you have to empower um the people that work in your contact centers to be able to baggage handle kind of cross-functionally cross-process assuming that you're working with a with a customer that's prepared to do that and not all of them are a client so then there's all sorts of stuff you can do whether it's focusing on on if you like the desktop the surfacing of customer information we we're talking about the role of crm in that so flip my lights on again it's going to drive me mad um and uh and we have like we have a Another piece of tech. This again, this is an idea that's been around for ages, but making it work is quite hard. But it's amazing when it does, which just listens to the conversation in real time and then prompts thing called agent assist. And then it it prompts the knowledge base or the application and serves up wow. what it considers to be relevant information to the agent um, of, you know, if you like similar case closures or a returns document or so it's just listening all the time, just chuntering away, like in a, in a window, popping up. That things sounds that great. Might be useful. So, um, and that's again, I mean, the, the stuff that you can do now, um, the, the kind of rate, the, the rise of AI and automation because of the commoditization and the reduction in cost of the computing power and improvement in the, the NLP engines, uh, uh, natural language processing engines and, and um, 
yeah it's nuts it's 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 incredible and uh, just, and, that, and that's being driven a lot by the really big you know it used to be kind of a specialist i think there always will be specialist ai vendors where you want to go really deep on a particular topic but what what, what you know the big players the googles and so on uh, amazon's microsoft's who are all their engines um, incredible actually they go very broad they don't necessarily go to that specialization but their ability to act as a triage at the front end understand you know a very wide range of understand what they're hearing and then prompt accordingly so yeah so I, I absolutely i think to answer your question technology does help with that but you, i think it's it's as much a mindset um, for the customer that you're working with, the client that you're working with, and whether or not they really do want to break down those functional and process silos in their contact center. If they don't, then it's, uh, yeah, I, I don't think you can achieve the same results. Conscious of time, but I know this is, um, I mean, this has been fascinate, fascinating. I think there's so much um, that, I want to ask you and we can um, we can do more of I think this is the thankfully the end of um, part one not not thankfully it's the end but oh, it's only part I was really enjoying that no. I'll take that <laughs> slightly personally but, yeah. uh, what I meant what I meant was there's a part I do, two I do talk a lot I'm sorry I'm, I'm, I, well you're not, you're not the first person to tell me it's per it's perfect for a podcast that you talk a lot I'm what I meant was, it's I'm thankful that there's a part two. Um, okay, I know okay, we've, we've, we've got we've got more time um, next week, and I because I there's so much in this. It's just it's great to, for you to give up your time and um, to kind of share some of those thoughts. It's I found it um, fascinating, so I, I can't wait to to um, listen to. Uh, you don't you don't have to thank me i mean it's great i love talking about this stuff as i said and i can't i can't go home and talk about it because everyone just looks at me like i'm <laughs> yeah weird. yeah i i get <laughs> the same quite thing a small group of people on the planet they get excited about the same stuff so yeah I, I like, we're one of them so i like hanging out with <laughs> there's a moment um there's a moment with my wife where i can see okay i've, I've talked too much about yeah. something about contact centers that's excited me and yeah. she's like i i love you dearly uh, I'm not with you talking. on this one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jonathan, thank you very much. No, thank you. And uh, we'll speak we'll speak again. Great, thanks. I hate to break it to you, but you're in for a big surprise. Five years from now, Jane, who's resigning today, will ring the NASDAQ bell, officially launching her company on the public market. And what you'll soon realize is that Jane stole your most valuable data to start her new company on her way out the door. Learn how Code42 Insider can stop data theft and protect your organization's most valuable assets. Visit Code42.com to learn more. Hi, it's John Taffer from Bar Rescue. Did you know the second building in America was a tavern? When I built my new restaurant franchise concept, Taffer's Tavern, I thought back to the roots of what makes a tavern a tavern. Timeless character. All while delivering an unbelievably delicious food and beverage experience. That paired with my 40 plus years in the industry provides a clear roadmap to success. Do you have what it takes to be a Taffer's Tavern franchisee? If so, I'd love to hear from you. Visit franchise.tafferstavern.com.